Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens, in the history of the church, things get messy. And after the last couple of synods, nobody's going to disagree that things are really getting messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're having conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. It's also important for you to know that you are our marketing plan. We rely on you to spread the word about what we're doing at the Messy Reformation. We rely on you to share our content. We also rely on you to give us five-star reviews and provide good feedback for our podcast so that the algorithms push our content out into the world. You are our marketing plan. You can also support us financially on Patreon or Substack. All of the money raised is used to fund online hosting and build the platform of the Messy Reformation. You may even see a Messy Reformation conference coming in 2024, so keep your eyes peeled for an announcement. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of our conversation with Dave Vandermule. Yeah, I've thought about it like food a lot of the time, right? Most of our meals are uneventful and forgetful, but there's something great about a good Thanksgiving meal and, and a Christmas dinner and a birthday celebration. But most of my meals are just to get me to the next one. And um, yeah, you're, you can't live off of just Thanksgiving dinners. That's right. That's right. And do you think, um, do you think that the Christian Reformed Church has done a, you know, I, I want to, like, I think we've done a good job in a lot of ways of setting up some of those structures that we've looked at the three-legged stool quite a bit, right? As far as that was kind of our discipleship method, really. Um, and yet, we're in a place where like many other denominations too, where we're losing a lot of our, our younger people, right? People are graduating and, and kind of not coming back into the church or we've got a generation of people who are gone. And so do you, what do you think that's about? Is that a result of the failure of discipleship? That's kind of what I've said over the years, or do you think it's uh, something else going on? I've wrestled with it too. And I think there's a lot going on. Um, So first of all, I've had this conversation quite a bit. I think we have to recognize there's some of it isn't the church's fault at all. There's just the socioeconomic conditions of life right now. So if you're grew up in an uh, urban setting, a lot of people, the young children um, go off to college get married, can't afford to buy a home in the area that they grew up in. And so they relocate to a cheaper environment. And now that church doesn't have the the child around anymore. And it's not the church's fault. There was nothing that they could do. It's just the homes were too expensive. And there's a lot of communities that are, that are like that. Uh, It's similarly to, you know, even an ag community, you have these, with longer life expectancies, you know, the patriarch of the family can work now much, much longer and do much, much more 
Uh, and so there's not as much for the kids to come and take over the land. And so they're like, where are my opportunities to serve? I'm going to go somewhere else where I can work, where I can find employment. And I think we have to recognize, again, not the church's fault, but that contributes to our, our lack of ability to have the young people step into those roles. Now, having said that, are they going to other Christian Reformed churches? Probably not a lot of cases. They'll just go to whatever non-denominational if they go to a church at all. And there is that sense, you know, we were doing so well, I think. I grew up in a, in a time when those structures were feeding, but then, yeah, did are they too mundane? And a lot of those things, we, we, we'll go back to our previous conversation, right? So how important then is an evening worship service, for example? Do I have to sit through another message? I already heard one this morning. My kids heard chapels. And so do I have to, you know, it, when I was young, it was pretty standard to go to an evening service. And almost that was part of being CRC was having two services. Well, as people see like, ah, I don't even know if I'd rather do this or spend time, that kind of faded away. And um, I think the next thing that has gone and is going in a lot of ways, okay, well, what about Sunday school attention attendance? Uh, maybe for the kids it's important, but as adults, we've learned enough, we've studied enough, we'll let it fade away. And there is, the, the trajectory is to do less, right? We, we almost always do less than the previous generations, and that is that slow slide toward those things that you wonder in the moment, is it really important that I read the Bible every day? Is it really important that I keep going to this thing if I feel like I haven't been fed, you know, or haven't had that life-changing experience in the last three months? I think I'm going to stop going. Well, then you quit, and then you realize not what you just lost, but what your children might have lost as well in seeing that example. Um, and that's one of the struggles, um, you know, I'll, I'll just, that I've, I've had in our context, I think we've done fairly well with the Sunday school attendance for children, but so many of our parents will drop their kids off and then go home during our Sunday school hours and then come back for the service. And the unintentional message I think you're sending your kids is, well, you need to learn more, but when you get older, you've got it figured out. We're done learning. And I think that's so dangerous. We've got to always be, hey, it's, I might not get anything out of it every single time I sit down and open up my Bible, but I'm going to do it every single time because I know God still has something to say to me. Mm -hmm. And I think you, we, when you start to step away from those regular practices, the, the, the effect carries into our lives, into our kids' lives, into our grandchildren's lives. And yeah, one of the changes, you know, again, going back, one of the things I enjoy as adults or, or working with more with adults now is like, wow, the the used Bibles, when you visit an older person's home, it, the, the, you know, you, you see it's right on their bedside or it's right at their, their coffee table and the pages are worn because their interaction with scripture is there. And 
has that really been passed down in the next generations? And, and I don't think that it has as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I want, it makes me wonder uh, why, right? Why, why hasn't them that been passed down? Because you're right. I, I meet with, uh, with some elderly people from my church, right? And they, they've got uh, a number of people. They've been reading their Bible right up to the moment that they died, right? right. I mean, it's just like a treasure for them and they, they have it. And so like, um, and this is the question I ask all the time is like, where did the ball get dropped where we stopped, where we lost that in a lot of ways. And so like, and, and I grew up with that. I mean, my, my parents, and so I, I've told this story a little bit. My parents uh, had walked away from the faith when they graduated high school, they were just kind of done with it. And it was more, it wasn't like a, a explicit, like we're done with Christianity. It was more of a like, yeah, you know, an apathy, like just kind of walking away and we're just going to kind of do our own thing. Um, and so my dad was, uh, what was he, 30 uh, or so? I would, yeah, he was about 30 when he came to faith and then kind of the rest of my family came to faith. And so I kind of grew up in a family where we were trying to figure out, I kind of, again, how to, how to live the Christian faith together. And, uh, and, uh, you know, now my parents, I mean, they're like, they're by, they're reading their Bible every day. I mean, they're very devoted, but they were trying to kind of get back into that growing up. And so we had that, they were doing devotions. We were growing up We, and, uh, my dad, is a kind of a rough old farmer. So he, he would definitely, uh, one of the sayings that shaped me was, I don't care what you think, what does the Bible have to say about this? <laughs> and so it's a great, a great line that, that has really, uh, shaped me over the years. And yet it took me a long time to get that to become part of my life as well. Just regular Bible reading, regular scripture reading, um, and so I've been trying to impart that into my kids too, but I, it takes a while to do that. And so I, I'm not really sure where the ball kind of lost in a generation, but I see some people, uh, just really faithful in their sixties and seventies. Um, but it's a lot harder to have people in their twenties and thirties. And again, there's a lot to that, right? Um, you know, some of it was, there was the practice, right? But if you would ask them, well, why do you do that? Or what does that mean? I don't know that some of those older generations were able to articulate or even now are able to say like, well, this is what it means to me on a daily in day out basis. Uh, and so they would do it, but I don't know that they always taught it or could even explain like, well, why is that important? And a lot of it was that, well, that's just the way we've always done it. And I, I guess I see benefit, but I don't know if I could exactly tell you why. Mm -hmm. And you marry that with a, I think we have a generational arrogance always, that idea of, well, you know, well, we can figure it out or we've got things better than others had it in the past. And I don't need your wisdom of the past. I can just open up scriptures and see what it says to me. And um, I don't have anything to learn. So I'm not going to ask my grandparents, well, why do you do that? Um, because they don't have anything really to teach me. Uh, that's just their old way of doing it. And and we're we're smarter. We're quicker. We're better at that kind of stuff. Um, and so it's that curiosity, the curiosity is lacking. Why do you do this? And then I don't know that they could even answer that question if and when asked. 
Yeah. Which is a difficult thing. Yeah. I think we're getting at something I had not really made a connection with until now. Um, and, and some of the just generational differences that we're starting to see. Um, and, uh, and I think this will make sense eventually. Uh, but I was listening to uh, Dave Ramsey a while ago and somebody had called him up and said, how in the world do I get all these lazy millennials to work? You know, I just, they don't want to work. They're all selfish and self-centered and, uh, you know, and Dave Ramsey said, Hey, millennials are some of the millennials and Gen Z. They're, they're like some of the best workers we have in our, in our business. He said, but they're only good workers because they know that there's meaning and purpose and behind what they're doing. And so he was saying, you know, this generation of millennials and Gen Z's, once they know the reason why they're doing it and they see the meaning and the purpose behind it, then, then they're kind of all in on this. Whereas a previous generation, it was, and I'm not even saying this is for good or bad, but it was more of a, we go to work because we go to work. We just mm-hmm. do our job. Like we just show up, we do the job, we we do the thing, we go home and we just keep doing that every day until we retire, right? And so, and they just kind of assumed the next generation would just do the thing. They would just show up to work and do the thing, right? And and that almost kind of transfers over into faith as well, right? When you're kind of shaped in such a way that you just get up in the morning and you do the thing, that really does set you up well for this kind of long obedience in the same direction, kind of a lifestyle. I'm going to get, I get up and I read my Bible every morning because that's what Christians do, whether it made me, whether it has meaning to me or not. I, I just do that because, and we go to church on Sunday we go to church at night and I go to work Monday through Friday. We just, this is how we live. And then we have this other generation coming up and saying, but why, <laughs> why do we do this kind of stuff? And, uh, and I think that probably needs to help us when, Think, rethink how we shape uh, this generation, try to help help them understand the meaning and the purpose behind these things and not just assume that we just, this is just what we do, so we should do it. Most of them are saying, well, I don't care about just doing things to do things sake. I want to know why I'm doing it and I need to know like where it's going to lead me in the future. Well, not only that, but I want to see the fruit of it right now. Um, yeah, that patience of saying like, Hey, it might not pay off in the moment, but, um, there is a long-term goal. And I don't know if we always have the patience, but I think you're absolutely right. It's, I want to see the results. I want to know why, why is this important? And that's one of the big jobs that we as pastors have is to answer those questions over and over and over again. This is why this is important. This is how this applies to us in the world that we're living. And um, this is what you're going to see happen. And, and yeah, open your eyes. Look around. You know, who's thriving in life and who's not? What marriages are succeeding and what aren't? Who of your friends are are doing well? And why did your grandparents do so well in life where you're struggling and what of that faith journey is an important part. And I hope, um, you know, that people start to get those. That's, that's my big hope is that people see like, okay, this, this isn't just something I have to do, but I want to engage in these practices because I see that it's going to pay off in the long run. Yeah. 
Yeah, amen. That's uh, and I think that's probably some of the shift that we're seeing happen. Uh, just as I'm thinking about this, and in the way we explain the Christian life, right there, there for a long time was an explanation of the Christian life is just duty. This is just what you do, um, because that was kind of the motivating factor in people's lives, right? Mm-hmm. That was kind of like we do we're we're duty bound, and now it's shifting, and uh, and I even find myself kind of emphasizing. Um, I mentioned this, the, the aspect in the Heidelberg Catechism where it says, you know, what does it mean? The right, what is the rising to the new life? And it says a wholehearted joy and obedience to follow yeah. Christ, right? There's, it's, it's not just doing your duty. It's, it's a wholehearted joy in following him because you know, like this is, this is bringing glory and honor to God. And this is how I've been created to live in the world. And there's, there's joyfulness in doing that, not just doing what I do, but finding joy and peace and and living the way God has called you to live. And, and that resonates different with uh, this generation with another generation. To a certain extent, although that has always been the question, right? Um, Like again, previous generations, they could, they could maybe give you the the catechism answer on all of those things because they had to have it memorized. But did they really know it, right? And yeah. regardless, that's that for me, that was that was my joy in youth ministry. And I think you saw it a little bit more often because of where students are in their stage of life. But it, it's my great joy with adults as well, is when people have those aha moments of just like, you know, I always heard it, but now it makes sense. Now I see why. And again, with going with preaching and stuff, they'll say like, cause you know, with that one sermon that you said this one time, and I have no idea what they're talking about, yep. but that was that one thing that they needed to hear. And they started to put the the dots together or they had that experience and they're like, okay, I see the value. And yes, before it was there and I was, I, I it was feeding me, but now I, I feel like I, I have a, a drive that I didn't have before. And when people catch that, that's, that's when ministry is exciting. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. That's uh, those are the moments that make our heart very happy. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, uh, I always laugh. I, I talk about the story of this, uh, this teenager that um, I had been working with for, I wasn't like, it was kind of discipling, but he was kind of like, not super interested. So I don't really call it discipleship. It was more like we were in relationship. We were having conversations about things, but he was always kind of like, I'm not really interested in this kind of stuff. Right. And I would drive him home from youth group and, and he really didn't want to talk to me. He would just like put his AirPods in and I'd drive him home, whatever. And so I would always throw Alistair Begg on and be like, well, I'm just going to listen to Alistair Begg <laughs> with you sitting in the car. Cause he was always on right. As we got done with youth group. And uh, as we were driving home from youth group the one time, he like popped his AirPod out. He was like, hey, this is a really good message. He's like, he's saying the same thing that you said earlier about, like, oh, so you were paying attention. Yeah. It didn't seem like it, but you were. And uh, and like that little moment, because he heard me say it and then he heard someone else say it later, made this little click in him. And, uh, and kind of brought him now. I didn't, it wasn't a life-changing moment. He's, he's still struggling right now, but it, but it did kind of direct him and, and shape him to, to head in the right direction for a little bit. And, uh, anyways, yeah, all these little things that God uses that we don't, we don't always understand. Yeah. And, 
and I'll confess, you know, we, we talked about the three-legged stool earlier. I think that can be the downside of it, right? Um, uh, again, there was all these things that were forming me without me knowing it, but there was also, I mean, there's, it's just so much noise, uh, to a certain extent where I, again, I'm very sympathetic to like our high school students. If you think about their average week, right? So they go to a Sunday school class on Sunday morning. They hear a, a sermon on Sunday morning, hopefully come back for an evening service as well. Then they've got youth group and maybe one or two chapels at their Christian school that they're hearing that day. All of it wanting to change their lives and shape them into who they are. Well, you just heard seven different message. And now add to that, hopefully they too are in their own devotions and, you know, reading something. It's like there's so much volume there. What is going to actually change their lives? And sometimes it just becomes background noise that is so easy to ignore because I just heard seven things. I can't run after each one of those different things because they're pulling me in different directions and I can only, you know, focus on so much. So in that, I think it just becomes noise and it be, for a lot of people, it can just become overwhelming. And I've struggled. How do I participate in that? But also, how do we mainstream or, or focus that a lot better so that the, the the voices aren't pulling them in seven different directions, but maybe three in all yeah. of those seven different messages so that we can kind of harmonize what it is that we're hearing or be a little bit more intentional about it. But I get, I mean, it's especially for a, a Christian school student, which is a lot in our community, it can very quickly become background noise, yeah. which then creates a huge amount of just gray area in my faith, right? There's, you know, I, I'm not antagonistic, but I'm not really alive. I'm just, I'm a Christian and I'm here. Um, and yeah, trying to get them fired up is figuring out slowly how to work that and, and what are the things that are going to allow for voices to actually be heard. Yeah. Yeah, because you're right. It, you hear so much. It, it's information overload, right? In, in a different way, not just or most people are talking information overload, you know, with devices and screens and all of that. But um, but even the church, too, um, we can we can do that in an unhelpful way. And like you said, I, I it's a good thing for us to think about more on uh, ways that the church and uh, like Christian schools and homes could work together so that we're like, have a more unified kind of discipleship plan together. So we're not like everybody's trying to point everybody in a different direction and a different thing uh, where we're kind of driving one message home. I'll, I'll have to think about that more because I think uh, there could be some real benefit in that because yeah, otherwise you just, you know, even my, my kids will say like, oh, we had another chapel message and, you know, it's kind of the same thing we hear all the time. And so, you know, you just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, uh, and I think for on the one hand, it, people should be careful to think creatively, right? That's one of the things like maybe be creative in how we share some new things or how we speak about certain things because we get in habits where we say the same thing in the same way all the time. And so people just kind of ignore it but but it's also wise for us to be thinking about 
how we're doing this. If we're just saying the same thing all the time, then it does become background noise and they just tune it out and walk away and be like, yeah, whatever. I don't need to pay attention to this. I've heard this all before. And this gets back to uh, one of the areas of struggle that I think maybe our denomination has, has, has also walked through. All right, because we want our voice to stand out. So what do we do? And one of the struggles we've had with some of the Sunday school curriculum is it's so activity based because, you know, like, ah, they've heard this message. So how do we how do we really get them to like either experience it or or see it fresh? Um so they they incorporate these things into the lesson, and then you get to the point where you ask the kids, well, what'd you learn about in Sunday school today? It's like, I don't really know, but we did some kind of like science experiment with like water and the paper <laughs> dissolved. Um, I, I'm just making that up, but yeah. you know, they remember the thing, but they don't the, the the connection is never made. And how do we as a culture accept like, yeah, we're not gonna be the flashiest. It might be a little bit boring to hear this thing but it's important that you actually hear it and it's important that we the the actual message gets conveyed um and, and that's where i try to I, I think again as a calling both in youth ministry and uh in my preaching how do we continue to keep these fundamental and very important truths fresh for people that have heard it a hundred times in their life before yeah and that's a struggle because it's and it takes a lot of time, right? Yeah. It's, it's hard because it's it's always easy to to say the cliche thing, right? Because it's it's cliche statements are true, right? They're cliche because they're cliche, which is now a cliche to say. But you know, they're they're true statements that everybody kind of knows, and so it's easy to just say it um, to make your point. It comes naturally, but to say that in a a little bit of a different way um, resonates and, and, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a challenge for us as preachers. Cause we're doing it every single week, trying to figure out how to, how to preach. Uh, but, and yet I think you're, I think it's a good caution that you gave that sometimes we can try to be so creative that the message gets lost in the midst of everything as well. And so there is a sense of, um, I, I remember I said this on the synod floor a couple of years ago, where second Peter talks to me, he says, Hey, I'm just writing this. You've all, you've heard all of this before. Mm -hmm. I'm just writing this to remind you of all of these things again, because you need to be reminded of it over and over and over and over again. And so there's a, a, a sense in which our preaching and our teaching and our discipleship is, is just a reminder. And that's what we're doing. Say, so, Hey, do you remember this? Um, how does this apply to you today? Um, and your and your walk with Christ, and uh, and that doesn't uh, reminders don't have to be flashy all the time. Um, reminders just a, a good reminder to say, hey, remember this, don't forget. And, and that is critical. Uh, you know, another thing I always wrestle with too is doing that, but where people are, right? Not assuming that everybody in the pew has grown up in the church. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm hitting the the tennis ball back and forth constantly because, yeah, it's like, you know, I think of Paul, you know, like I, I gave you milk because that's all you could handle at this moment. I didn't give you the meat. And OK, but when do we 
when do we graduate people from the milk to the hearty meals, right? And and start saying like, no, there is more expected of you. You've been walking this road long enough. You should know this. And now it's your opportunity to teach it and, and to live it uh, in a way that you haven't yet. Because, um, yeah, you have heard this a thousand times. You're right. But it's important. Now, uh, ha- have you recognized why and how do we get to to cross that barrier too. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the big one. Uh, that's the, the hard challenge. And, uh, you know, I'm sure none of us ever, ever feel like we have the balance right on where we're, um, because all of us are sitting here with a congregation. I mean, whether you're a pastor preaching to a congregation or whether you're a youth pastor speaking to a youth group or whether you're a, a Sunday school teacher speaking to a Sunday school, you're going to have people there who are, who are at all different levels. Right. When I was a youth pastor, we did sixth grade through 12th grade, right. Or seventh grade through 12th grade. And so how do you communicate to all of those? And um, I always said, I did intentionally preach over the heads of my sixth or my seventh and eighth graders. I just like, I'm going to shoot over your head. You're going to pick up some of it along the way and uh, you'll rise to the occasion. And And they did. Um, but it's a little bit different preaching on a Sunday morning where I'm I'm trying to mix it both in. I'm trying to have some beginner stuff there. I'm having so you're having some beginner food and some some heavier meaty stuff in there too, and you're trying to weave it all together so it uh, it all comes together and kind of complements each other, right? Yeah, and that's that's never easy. I mean, we can all talk about these things, but putting it into practice is is hard because. Yeah, every single week you hope that there's someone that's hearing this or really taking, listening to it in a new way, while there's also someone there that's been there, you know, for years and years and years and feels like they've they've heard it all. Yeah. Um, and that's where, again, I think one of the things that I've always strived toward is to say uh, there is always room for growth and there is always more. I unfortunately, I think the broader evangelical world, the message often is, hey, if you're going to heaven, you're done. You did what you need to do. And uh, that's it. Um, And there's so much more to know. It's, you know, we we don't live for when we die. Uh, And that's not the purpose of our lives is just to make sure that we've, you know, got our ticket punch to the next step. God's got a a mission for us right now, right here. Um, And it's not about my salvation. It's about how do I serve him in this context? Uh, How do I glorify him in all that I do in my work, in my study, in my play, instead of just saying like, well, I, I know I'm going to heaven, so I did what I need to do. I don't know why I have to keep listening to all of these messages and and keep doing these things because I thought that was the goal. Uh, and I think too often the church sells that short that the message is, hey, if you can if you can answer this question, then congratulations, you're done. You've graduated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I think too uh, one of the things that popped into my head as we we're having this conversation and uh, uh just a reminder that just happened to me actually yesterday on Sunday is uh, in all the complexity of trying to figure out how to disciple people and how to meet, you know, the mature and the immature and how to, how to present things in a new way. uh, I was reminded of just the importance of trusting the work of the Holy spirit. And in all of all of that, like in the preparation work that you've done, but also in, 
in the preaching of the word or in the leading of a Sunday school class or even just in the conversation with people. Um, I'm sure you have this and I have this every once in a while where I always write my sermon actually pretty early. I usually write it on Thursday and I put it away and don't even look at it until Saturday night. And, uh, and this week was one of those weeks where Saturday night I pulled it out and was kind of going over it. And I was like, this is terrible. (laughs) This is so bad. (laughs) <laughs> and I like I got done like preaching through it and I came back and my wife was like so how'd it go and I'm like oh it's so bad I it's just really not good but this is what I've got I'm just gonna I guess we're just going for it you know and then uh Sunday morning I got up I go through it again and got to church and then I didn't change anything in the sermon I preached it on Sunday and I got done and I was like huh that was pretty good. Like it, it flowed pretty smoothly. People seem engaged. And then somebody came up to me. I had like, they weren't even in my brain as far as someone who this would resonate with really, really immature new believer. And they were like, wow, that really just like spoke to me. It was (laughs) like, I don't even know. Right. I just, I, uh, but the way that the spirit works in all of this too, right. We sometimes are easily, rely too much on ourselves and our own wisdom and our own intuition and the spirits at work um, as you prepare those lessons, but even as you present it to, he's working in through you and in the hearts of people. And that's always a helpful reminder. Oh, it's critical. I, I, you know, you learn that lesson really early. Uh, I'm never the pastor I want to be. I know I fall short and I'm very honest about the fact that yeah, there's a lot more I wish I could be and do. But uh, if I diligently give myself to the work and and pray and trust that the Spirit will take that work that I give myself to, it, it often does far more than what I thought it could. And again, you know, people will say like, oh, remember that time you say A? I was like, no, actually, I don't remember ever saying that. And B, I'm not even sure I did say that, but I'm so grateful that God took whatever that was and and let you hear what you needed to hear. And uh, that's where it's like, hey, we try to be vessels uh, in that process to the best of our ability. Um, But yeah, we can't do it. Uh, I, I can't change anybody's life. Amen. Well, we're coming to the end of the interview here, Dave, and uh, I always we always give everybody opportunity to kind of say some final words, and I always just remind everybody, we have a huge host of listeners. I wasn't expecting that when we started the podcast, but we've got pastors who listen and elders and deacons and college students, and I always say soccer moms. I don't know if there's any soccer moms, actually, but either way, we've got a whole host of different people listening and uh, like, what would be you know, kind of based on what we've been talking about? What would be some of your kind of final words of wisdom for them? Boy, um, you know, so in the way that this conversation evolved, it really wasn't what I was planning. But it this message that comes out seems to be, you know, just be asking yourself, what does God have for me next? And what can I give myself to a little bit more deeply and a little bit more intently that's going to be good in the long run toward his glory and the building of his kingdom? 
And for everybody, that's going to be a different answer. You know, maybe you need to hear that that call to re-engage in a prayer life that's become really stale or to uh, try a new way of engaging scripture. One of my favorite questions always is, what do you do to get into the devotions, especially for those elderly people? You know, how do you keep this fresh? Or what are the ways that you allow God to speak into your life? Um, and so maybe that's it. Or maybe others need to just step out and join something, uh, a group that can keep them more accountable to actually engaging in things. Whatever it is for that person listening, a pastor or a regular congregation member, a young person or an old, God's got another step that he's preparing you for. So be listening to his spirit, ask it to ask the spirit to guide you and direct you to what that is. And then when God calls, say yes and, and open that door. And, and it's, there's always, there, there's something new that God's going to call to you and it might not be life-changing or super exciting, but you know, it's going to be good for you in the long run. That's all we have for this week. If you want to help us out and support the Messy Reformation, another thing you can do is sign up for our newsletter through Substack. That way, you'll get episodes and summaries sent directly to your email inbox. It will also give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience, which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast. So head over to the Messy Reformation on Substack and sign up for our newsletter. Now, stay tuned next week for our conversation with Stuart DeYoung. But until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So, keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation. <laughs>